Hello, welcome to Shepherd the Sheep. On today's podcast, Pastors Gino Glamro and Jason Vaughn have Brian Opry in studio where we will be discussing with him uh, his work in Italy and the mission field. Welcome back. Hey, everybody. Yeah, it's been a while, but that's how it goes. So, uh, yeah, today, excited to have Brian here. Uh, Brian is in Italy, and so we are doing this. We wouldn't have been able to do this, I think, 20 years ago. Um, but even then, still 20, you know, here 2022, and uh, we're relying on technology to make this conversation work. So uh, there might be times where maybe... Uh, Brian doesn't hear us clearly or we don't hear him clearly. And so we may have to rephrase something or readdress something. So um, if the, you're listening and hear us say, sorry, could you repeat that? That's why. So we still haven't got to the point where we're Star Trek, where we can beam people around and have these conversations and then beam back home. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Brian's not in studio. No, no, he's a, uh, he's uh, in Italy just to, <laughs> to yeah. but he's uh, here in spirit and uh, voice. Yeah. So, yeah, not well, sipping on a. Are you eating gelato, Brian? <laughs> it is seven, so around seven p.m. there. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, it's a little after seven here, and I I did just have a gelato before the podcast. Oh, see, well, see, yeah, uh, yeah. We're still having morning coffee. You're having gelato with espresso. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you picked up coffee yet? There. I have. But I'm not a coffee snob, and so a lot of the here coffee shops are called bars. A lot of the bars you go to have Lavazza Italy, which is basically it's better than Folgers and Uban, but it's sort of Italy's version of those two, just in terms of being the most common brands that you find. So yeah. I've learned one thing about Italians: they think their Lavazza is like premium. It's like they think it's like liquid gold. And I, every time I'm like, oh, don't tell them, don't tell them, don't tell them. You just tell offended them. I just smile and yeah. and nod and say, I'm glad you enjoy it. But I I am glad they enjoy it. But So, so yeah. much for trying to not offend the Italians. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> right out of the gate. <sighs> yeah. So. yeah. No, you, you can't tell an Italian anything negative about food or drink because it will offend it will offend them. So. Well, to be to be fair, I would um I would probably concede that the food and the restaurant industry and the food industry over there is better than America. So I would concede that fact. Like I would happily concede that my guess is if I go to a restaurant, like even whether it be mom and pop or maybe even if the Italian version of a corporate restaurant is probably better than what I'm going to get here in America. So I will concede that. Oh, absolutely. That, yeah. Uh, and actually, the, most of the restaurants that I've been in here, the, I haven't seen many chain restaurants. There are some, but for the most part, it's independently owned restaurants, and every chef creates his own menu. 
Mm. And so everything is unique in that regard. Yeah, for sure their so, pizza game is going to be better. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Aren't you close to Pizza's Naples? Pizza here are much lighter than in the state. What's that? Aren't you close to Naples? No, I'm actually in the far northwest in the city. Well, just outside the city of Turin. Oh, that's Naples right, that's is right. down in the south. Okay, that's what you were saying earlier. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, we've had a lot of people who come from the south up to the north because southern Italy is much more agricultural, rural, whereas the north is where the industry is, and it's just a lot easier to find jobs. And so a lot of southern Italians come up to the north for that reason. So they're Um, south of the country, too. That's... Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, welcome, Brian. Glad to have you. So uh, you're almost closer to France than you are to Rome. I am about an hour and a half east of the French border and would need f- five to seven hours by train, depending on if you do the high-speed bullet train or just a regular train um, from Turin to Rome. So, yes, I am closer to France and Switzerland and Monaco. I was going to say, you're, you're actually closer to Geneva than you are to to, to maybe even Florence, right? Probably about the same distance. Yeah, okay. From to Geneva going to the north or Florence going to the south and east. Gotcha. Yeah, see, I was just using my fingers. And I had to, had to use my fingers as well. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, so I'm looking at Tur- Turin is like way up there. Apparently, my, my fingers looking at the map online uh-huh. are not an accurate to scale. Oh yeah. yeah. So, but I love it. I, no. that's that. So that you're, you're, I mean, I think Italy is pretty mountainous throughout Italy though. Right. It's not like a, like it, there's a lot of mountains in Italy, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Tons of mountains and Turin's at the base of the Alps, the Italian Alps. Oh, so do you, do you, is, is like your city, are there a lot of people that snow ski and snowboard there? To be honest, I don't know for sure. I would assume so, but I just haven't, in conversations I've had with people, that particular topic hasn't come up. The other thing is this particular winter, there's been hardly any precipitation. And so there's been very little snow in the mountains. And just in general, Italy has been going through a very long drought for a number of years to the point that most of their lakes are well below the water levels were below where it should be in a couple of lakes, at least a couple of lakes have even dried up completely. Oh, wow. So yeah, I I was actually surprised to learn that even in Italy and in the Alps, a lot of times they have to use fake snow for those reasons. Wow. There are man-made snow snow machines. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought it would all be natural, but silly me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's crazy it's interesting um yeah you guys pray for rain i was gonna say they need to pray for rain uh yeah i mean we we need it here badly and like i say i mean this from last november 1st to now it's rained maybe three four times so. That's crazy. Huh. That's, yeah. Huh. Okay. 
So, um, just just so people kind of know a little bit about you, Brian, uh, you from California. Yep, born and raised in Southern California, um, and did undergraduate up in the San Fernando Valley, and started attending Grace Community Church in the mid '90s, and then went through Master Seminary in the 2000s, finishing with the MDiv in 09 and the THM in 2013. Yeah. Okay. And then you worked with um, uh, a guy, Richard Vargas, down in the yes. Long Beach area. Mm-hmm. While you were preparing, worked He's with been him for to us actually. Yep. Yeah. So, which is a cool. Connection. Yeah, I worked with Richard for ten years, from 08 to 18, when I first arrived in Italy. So. I always say that he was the, he's the one who taught me how to be a pastor. Yeah. He's a great guy. Yeah. Gino, Gino just brought that up. A lot of people don't know how helpful Richard was to us. Um, in the sense that, uh, he opened the doors to let some of our finance people come in and ask questions. Um, but, but even just to like me personally, kind of probably, probably taught you the same things he, he, you know, Hey, like I remember early in the ministry, he was like, Hey, uh, I can't remember what I asked him, but it brought up, it brought up some counsel from him where he was like, look, don't be afraid to read anything, read everything. In fact, you might, it might be dumb of you not to go look at Willow Creek's like greeter table information because they're so good at it. And he's like, but just take what people do and integrate it into your philosophy of ministry and was actually really, really helpful in that way because it kind of made like, you know, just it's, it's the truth, right? That, um, people that are not theologically like-minded, it doesn't mean they don't, it doesn't mean they're, they're, you know, they're not right on something and it doesn't mean they can't be helpful. Hmm. Um, and if you adopt a practice, it doesn't mean you're adopting their theology and that it was really helpful to hear that from, from Richard at that time. And, um, I know, I know you have a lot of good stories too. And I know it's not about him, but yeah, yeah. Just, just so people. Understand. Yeah. But, well, and, and, and just along those lines too is, yeah, I had a lot of those similar conversations with Richard while I was working with him. And then when I got here, I've got teammates who are adopting that same kind of mindset, not necessarily with, greeter tables per se as an example but just reading books from people who were may not be on the same theological page in some areas but it's stuff that forces us to ask the quest ask difficult questions that we need to answer and so i'm just as one example because so many evangelical churches in italy are 10 to 25 people in terms of attendance we aren't necessarily opposed to having a church building, but with churches that size, it's just easier to meet in a home. And so just reading a lot of stuff from the home church movement that's been so popular over the last several years, not necessarily, again, that we're married to this home church movement, and that's the only type of church movement that we're on board with, but just to glean from them, just from the perspective of having a small church, no matter where it meets and just 
dealing with some of the questions that they ask and answer in their books. And like you said, Jason, just applying it to our philosophy of ministry here in Italy. That's interesting. I, you know, part of, part of what we want to do here, Brian, is we want want somebody listening in to kind of know what, uh, what, why you're in Italy. Uh, And obviously it's to make disciples and, and see people saved and, and grow, you know, to reach people for Christ. But, but just kind of some of your mission goals. But one of the things we talked about before we hit record was, was just kind of even understanding the culture there enough to where we have some wisdom in, in how we pray. And, and so that's interesting. I didn't even think about that. Like um, the fact is it's probably better for you guys right now to have a house church. Is that the situation? Yes, I mean, like the- wax, go a little bit deeper in, into that issue for me, if you don't mind. Sure. And so just with the group of teammates that I'm working with, we have in total three churches. One church um, is in Ancona, which is the central East Coast. And they've had a building for many years that they meet in. And then and their attendance is usually about 20 to 25. Um, other colleagues who are about 20 minutes from us, they also have a church building and their attendance is roughly 70 on a given Sunday. And for Italy, that's mega church in terms of evangelical churches. And then for the church that I'm at now, our church is two Italian couples, one Italian lady who comes, her husband and son do not. And then there's um, myself, one other single missionary and a missionary couple. And so we're what, eight people in total. And so when issues of buildings come up for many years, there was just this idea that if you didn't have a building church building, you had no credibility in Italy. So it turns out that's just an old wives tale. It's just more establishing a reputation in the community where you're living by getting to know the people. And with the, with our particular church, when the issue of a building comes up, okay, there's all the expenses, there's the rent, there's the bills, all these things. And there's no way that we would be able to afford it at the moment. And so we're just going to meet in the head missionary's home and have our worship there. And then as the Lord grows the church, as we get big enough, as we can afford it, then we'll look into some kind of property that we can purchase. And keep in mind when we say property here, it's almost always a storefront property and not a quote unquote church building in the traditional sense that we think of it. Mm. Yeah. You're, you're basically like early days of church planting and um, nothing wrong with being in home. As a matter of fact, um, our first services uh, were, were in, in a member's home for, for uh, I think the first few months, right, Jason? Yeah, I think so. But, but it's, but you're right. I mean, and that's Brian, what I heard. And I think that's, it's interesting because, you know, the assumption from a lot of, uh, a lot of us is there's, there's two, seems to be two errors. Error one is life in Italy is so different that, um, that there's no way we can possibly know how to do ministry there. And then error number two is that America, the, the, the American way is the way to do missions. And so like you and I, probably no stories of, I mean, I can point to a city on a map where Baptist church came in and built this huge structure and said, look, we built this big building 
And five years later, there were still only 10 people going there, you know, and it was because this like American idea, if you build it, they will come. And which is of course not true, but so it's interesting to hear you even talk about that because I think you just, what you said that was so key is you've got to build some kind of reputation, um, which is fits with first Timothy three, right? That you're a pillar of truth to the community. And so the community is looking to you, you know, as a place that represents Jesus Christ. And at that point, you the building doesn't matter, right? It, you're ultimately, man, you wouldn't want, I don't think I want anybody to come to our church because of the building. Like, you know what I mean? Like, those are actually not the kind of people that can build a church with. Right. And it doesn't matter if you're Italian or American on that point. Hmm. Yeah, the building. Yeah, I mean, just the. Go ahead, go ahead, Brian. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I, yeah, yeah, if I can cut in, I was just going to a couple things in response to what you guys were saying. One um, is. Very early on, when I was here in language school, there was a Muslim guy in my class. And we were talking during the break one day, and he asked me what place evangelicals have as their center of worship. Muslims have Mecca, Romans have the, or Catholics have the Vatican. What place do evangelicals have? And I, John 4, it doesn't matter where you worship, if it's this mountain, that mountain, this city, that city worship of God from the heart. And so the location is not as important as where your heart is with regards to the Lord. And then uh, Jason, picking up on one of your points is in the community, yes, we need to represent Christ, but keep in mind, we're foreigners coming in. And the reality is whenever a foreigner comes in, I don't care what city or country you're talking about, there's always going to be a little bit of suspicion and so before we can represent Christ, we have to earn the trust of the people that we're living with. And the only way to do that is just build a relationship with them, getting to know them. And I mean, just one story I've heard from one of my colleagues is she was reading through the Gospel of John with a lady for five years in her home, in the Italian lady's home. And my colleague said, oh, I'm so glad we're friends now. And after five years, the Italian said, oh, no, we're not friends yet. Hmm. That's just how skeptical and untrusting they are and how long it takes to build a relationship with them. And Italians are very relational people. So in, in Italy, you're much more known, respected for the relationships you have than any academic credentials. They don't care what doctorates you have, what master's degree you have. They want to know who you are as a person, and that just takes time and conversation and getting to know them. Yeah, that, I mean, honestly, I I think it's beautiful. I, on the one hand, right, you just wish that you could walk up to somebody and and share information and they would repent and believe. And, and I mean, that does sometimes happen, but usually there's more going on. You know what I mean? Like, usually the Lord has already kind of brought that person you know, to the point to where they're ready mm-hmm. to hear that. But it it is true. Like you think about that. Um, and I think that's even true in America. Like the information we give to people is life changing information that is a radical turning from self worship and self control. Like, and I mean like self governing control to bowing, submitting and following the Lord. And that's, I mean, to me, that's 
very radical information, very radical truth in the sense that it's un, it's un, you know, it, it flies all in the face of unbelief. And the reality is how many times would you, you know, you would never go to somebody and say, Hey, would you listen to a stranger and just do what they say for issues that are probably life and death to you? You know what I mean? Most of us would be like, no, mm-hmm. you know, no, nobody, right. you know, usually even when we find a doctor, Hey, who do you recommend? Oh, I recommend Dr. Smith, you know? Oh, okay, cool. You know? And so, yeah, that, I mean, what you say there is, yeah. Yeah, no, no one went yeah. up to Jesus Christ because, um, you know, they, they went up to Christ because they did trust him and that they saw that, uh, uh, that he was, um, a different kind of person, especially in the context of, 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 uh, when he lived, um, there was something about him that was very inviting and loving and caring and, and patient. And, um, and, and really Brian, for what I'm hearing is like, people want to, uh, want that kind, I, they're not going to take information from you, um, without understanding who you are. I wouldn't either. Right. No, no one should really. And if you do, um, you're a little too gullible. You want to, you want to know the person, absolutely. So it makes sense from from. I don't know. I don't know if that comes just from a historical kind of experience for for Italians, or that's just their culture. Um, maybe they're just a. Is it because they're just a, they're a close knit group of people? I don't know. Yeah, just all I know at this point, having lived in the country for roughly four years, is. Italians by nature are very skeptical and whether that's just part of it has been the government through the years, whether that's some of the disillusionment from some of the scandals that we've unfortunately seen from the Catholic church through the years. Um, it's just, they, they are just not a, a trusting people. They just, they don't trust others. It, it just takes time to break down that wall. Yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. So you have uh, three call, two other colleagues, right? And they all have little churches. Do you guys actually come together, you know, as, as the, uh, you know, as home church, um, as a kind of a home church, do you guys ever come together and worship together? Or it's always like uh, apart. Cause it sounds like one person is on the East coast. Yeah, apart from the person on the East Coast, one of the things I've picked up is the threshold to separating the inside of your home from the outside is very sacred in Italy. Our little church here um, wanted to use the big church building that's about 20 minutes away for a function. I forget what it was, some kind of um, event that we just didn't have a space big enough and the people at this other church know of us know that we're sister churches and still said no we could not use their church building and keep in mind that this church building was paid for by funds donated by americans to an american missionary so the italians have nothing on this they didn't buy it they didn't do anything to help purchase it but the threshold to them is so sacred and so special that they just don't let people in. Hmm. I mean, it's almost a rite of passage to get into someone's house. 
just you talk to them for weeks, months, in some cases years, and they will never invite you over. You can go out for coffee, meal, whatever, but going over to their home, that's just, it, it, it just takes a lot of time to get to that point with an Italian. Wow. That's really interesting. I, that's okay. So that's definitely a difference in culture because um, I, I think, well, at least in our culture, we're a lot quicker to invite people over. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. You don't think so? Mm, I don't know. Yeah. I think I think it is for your culture because the Filipino culture is like. That's true. Oh, were you just walking by my house? We have a party. Come on yeah, in. Yeah, there's too much food here. Come and eat. <laughs> and the reality is there is too much food there. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but I think like, uh, you know, for us white people, a little different. <laughs> um, it, is, it is interesting, Brian, because I know, I know historically, you know, um, Italy has been rooted in, in the Catholic faith for, for, you know, I mean, at this point, you, you, you know, you have to say centuries, right? Not just years. You're, you're talking, you know, hundreds, uh, even thousands of years now. And is there, is there a sense in which, you know, and I'm asking this from a, from an American perspective, who's just trying to kind of like brainstorm surmise Sherlock Holmes, this thing from my seat. Is there a sense in which, you know, the church isn't about worship anymore and that, that maybe it's just about tradition and that plays an influential role in the way that they, in the way that you have to do ministry because the way they, they even, you know, view someone who says Jesus Christ. Yeah. So I'm just thinking because there's so many different directions. My mind is going right now. Um, but generally speaking, um, Yes, it's a, it's become a very traditional type of worship. Um, the other thing is um, with the whole um, purgatory issue, it's basically gives the Catholic Church the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, the, the opportunity to create this sort of universalism that everybody at some point is ultimately can or will get out of purgatory. And so, yeah, I mean, just what's happening is maybe the southern two-thirds of the country, roughly 30% of the people will go to church. But that doesn't say anything about the frequency with which they will go to church. Usually, at least the people I've spoken to, six, eight times a year, they'll go to Mass. And then in the north, the numbers are minuscule in terms of people who will go to church, well under 10%. But yet there's still that, as you were saying, just centuries of Catholic influence on the Italian culture, on the Italian government. And so, yes, there's very much a sense of we've always done it this way. We can't change kind of mentality. And so it has just become this sort of going through the motions. And, you know, I've done my rosaries i took the mass and so i'm okay for now and just and from another month i'll do it all over again kind of thing and it's just just become very rote there's nothing personable about it not no relationship with it with um with the service with the priest with jesus and it's just 
like I say, just going through the motions with it because this is just what our culture has always been for centuries. Yeah. Does that, so does that create barriers? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I think it does create some barriers. Um, in my mind, I'm trying to like maybe unpack. Um, that's why the relationships are so important, right? Because you, it's one thing to say, hey, have you heard about Jesus Christ? In their mind, they're like, I'm Italian, of course. Like, of course I'm Italian. You know what I mean? Like, that that's kind of what I ran into a little bit in Croatia. Um, and that's probably why those relationships are so important, right? Because it's there where they can actually start to see your good works. Yeah. And I mean, just to your point about Croatia, what I'm picking up is pretty much everybody in Europe is a Christian, Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant, just depends on what country or what part of the country you may be in. In the case of, for example, Germany, there's some Catholic and some Protestant, I think same with France, but everybody over here will say they're a Christian, but being a Christian in Europe says nothing about what you believe, says nothing about the good deeds, Jason, that you were pointing out. And so you'll get, are you a Christian? Yes. Do you believe in Jesus? No. Do you believe the Bible? No. And so it's just this very broad cultural type of Christianity that has no connection to scripture, no connection to Christ. And it's just, um, just this, like I was saying, just this tradition that's been going on for centuries and so yeah it just it does build up those barriers because when you want to talk to people about christ and about the bible a lot of times they think they already are christians and already know what they need to know about jesus and so just trying to get through those that barrier alone is really difficult because you're witnessing to someone who thinks that they're okay with god do you sense that people are um, spiritual? Like, or like, are, do they seek the spiritual, or, or are they pretty much like go about their lives? You know, life is just about work, and you know, I don't know exactly how Italians think about life, but um, yeah, just is there a spiritual sense to them, or is it kind of, I don't know, uber rational, or you know what I mean? I mean, there's not a spiritual dynamic the way we would think of, for example, say the new age movement or people in the States saying I'm spiritual, but not religious. And not in that regard, there isn't, it's much more a religious aspect, meaning there's just this component of going through the motion of these religious rites or ceremonies that we have to do. But even then for the most part, um, Italians um, are just going about their life. Um, a lot of them will claim to be atheists. And so again, just to your point about the spirituality, no, it's just, I, there's nothing beyond this. So I'm just going to go about my life, do my work, take care of my family as best as I can. And, and that's it. Mm. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, we, we talked about COVID, COVID a little bit um, earlier before we started recording. I, 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 is there like, 
do you think that changed? Because I know there was a lot of death there. Did that kind of, was there like, did, did, did COVID awaken anything in, in the Italians or was it, did it kind of quickly pass? You know what I mean? Because I feel like it here for, for a moment it did. And I don't know if it's the same there. Yeah, I mean, there were, for example, at our church, when all of the services were online during the lockdown, there were people who attended, quote unquote, the church service online while they were at home on Zoom and so forth. But now that the services are back in person, they're not attending. And so, yeah, it's just there was sort of that little interest that was peaked as people were faced with mortality on a very grand scale and on a dramatic change of life that came very quickly. And then now that things are coming back to normal, it's back to normal life for the Italians. And so that sort of spiritual or religious curiosity or biblical curiosity, whatever you want to call it, it's it's starting to wane here. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, There there's, that's a double edged sword Uh, on the one hand you want. Um, people to come to Christ and grow in conviction and be a part of the disciple-making process in the church and faithful to their responsibilities. On the other hand, it's that sad reality from pastoral ministry perspective that sometimes people are scared into the church for a reason, and when the fear subsides, they're gone. Um and that's, that's the parable of the soils, and that, that's the hard part, right? It doesn't matter what country you're in. Uh, you're always going to have those people that for a brief moment seem to believe, and then they vanish. And, um, yeah. you know, that, that's not a Italian thing. That's, a, that's just the way the human heart works. And so, Yeah, it's a human nature thing. Yeah. And on the one hand, you want those people, you, you want the people that seem to fall away to, to repent and come back. On the other hand, it's also that reality that, you know, that the Lord builds his church and it, it may be better for your church not to have them there until they're ready to confess and repent and, and, and actually place their hope in Christ. Um, especially yeah. in a small church stage, cause that can be, you know, it's amazing how one person can, can derail a church. Yep. Yeah. That's crazy. So you guys are, um, are you in, in terms of like, cause you're there to church plant, right? Yeah. So you spent the first couple of years learning language and, uh, now now that you're, now that you're a maestro at the language, um, we'll just let people think that, um, not now. So where are you at in the church planting process and what's kind of the, the overall goal there for the church plant? So there's kind of a couple different issues in place. So I'll try to cover both aspects. So the church I'm at now was started October of 2017 as a brand new church plant. And so in, in that regard, I mean, it's stable, even if the attendance is low, um, eight people, um, which obviously we want more, of course. Um, but it is stable, does have good leadership. I'm in a phase now where I'm just um, getting acclimated to ministry in Italy. And then probably around the first of the year, I'll be looking um, at a long-term assignment. And there'll be three options. 
One is to start a new church. Another is to find an Italian evangelical pastor that I could come alongside and help more as a church restoration than a church plant, but just that same idea of building a church that just needs help growing because they've reached a low point. Uh, But then our colleagues in Ancona are looking at retirement in probably the next, say, four to six years, something like that. And, And they don't have anyone at the present moment who can succeed them. And so it's a possibility that I'll go down there as well. And then whatever I wind up doing in that regard, there's always leadership training involved as well. So finding an Italian that I could train up for leadership in the church as a Paul Timothy type model, um, that's something that I'll be pursuing as well. Are the other pastors that you're, you you um, work with, are they Italians or are they uh, are, are they like you or they came, came and planted? So, well, what I'll be doing during the summer and fall is, looking at Italian evangelical churches. So they're pastored by Italians um, and not other missionaries, because it really doesn't make sense for one missionary to go to a church where there's already a missionary, but working with an Italian. Because uh, the mission sending agency I'm with, um, ABWE, that's for Western Europe, their vision is to work with uh, national pastors, just to come alongside as a support for them to help them raise their churches up, grow their churches. Um, so that's kind of the vision that we're looking at. Uh, but then the questions that I'm grappling with in that regard is how many Italian evangelical pastors are there? How many of them view working with a foreign missionary as necessary to revitalizing their church? And how would I gain credibility with them in order to come alongside and work with them? So yeah. those are yeah, cause those mean, are the questions. Even, I'll if, be, even if you found them, like you may not even. I mean, there's probably there there are probably Italian pastors out there, but they're not necessarily um, like minded. They may be evangelical, so there may be other. You know, you may have to. You may or may not. I mean, depending on what you decide to do, I have to work with someone that might be slightly different right uh in terms of their maybe philosophy of ministry maybe a little bit doctrinally um and 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 then i would also imagine some of these pastors are probably bivocational uh right i don't think if if if, if it's like the rest of europe there none of them are like full-time no as far as i know because the churches here are so small they can't afford a pastor. And so it's almost necessary for the pastors to be bivocational in that regard. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's something that um, the leader I'm working with now has taken into consideration with the Italian that he's working with and training and just saying, look, you have long work days. It's hard. Half hour sermon. Don't do a 45 minute sermon. It's because it just takes too long to put together a 45 50 minute sermon when you're working 40 hours a week. And so we just, uh, just adjust the length of the sermons as, as one way of helping to compensate for that. And then just working with each other in terms of stuff that comes up during the week in terms of discipling and counseling and those types of things. Cause the Italian pastor probably isn't going to be in the office during Italian business hours. And so uh, just working through those kinds of issues as we try to establish churches here. So, mm. 
Wow. I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, all of Europe shares in this similar problem. Yeah, with the with the yeah not being able to. Well, they're most of the churches are just small too. Yeah. And then, but the ones that probably could afford it, they just. Well, I think there's there's a country um, under the Queen. If you have ears to hear, hmm. um, and from what I understand, even their larger congregations, it's just culturally they don't pay their pastors, hmm. which is really weird. But you kind of wonder sometimes, like, does the lack of, and this is why missionaries are so important, right, Brian? Because you can kind of come in and we can help fund that. And if I'm not mistaken, there's yeah. actually now, because of terrorism, it's harder, right? We can't just pick an international person and fund that person to be a full-time ministry easily. It's actually very difficult now, if I'm not mistaken, because of terrorism. Mm-hmm. Am I, am I yeah. right? And now I've kind of had to piece this together a little bit from um, just other conversations with missionaries because there's also a local pastor in Croatia that we've, you know, that, uh, or when we, when we had a, another Italian missionary there and down and, he was a local, like we couldn't give directly to him. We had to give to the organization who paid him. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't, but yeah, I personally don't know about those particular aspects here in Italy. What I do know, what does come up in this regard is Italians have gotten, um, what's the word I'm just become very skeptical because of the way the, Catholic Church uses money and become somewhat disillusioned. And so they just need good, solid biblical teaching on giving, on how churches should use money and those kinds of things. And that here in Italy is more important than some of the other issues that have come up in, in Croatia and other parts of Europe. Yeah, there's probably lots of variables too, because think about the tax system there too. I mean, they're probably... Europe, you're you're a lot, you're you're more heavily taxed. They probably expect the government to pay you. Uh, I think in in the UK, don't they? Isn't the Anglican Church like the like the church there? I mean, I'm I'm assuming evangelical churches are finding it more difficult to be full time, but uh, the state, like the state and the Anglican Church, still kind of work together, right? So maybe they're the only full time workers because they're connected with the state. But if you're you're just a evangelical pastor, you're gonna find it maybe more difficult um, to to be fully funded. I mean, yeah. So I don't know how yeah. it works with like with uh, people's income and things like that. Like like oh, we gotta pay another person. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like yeah. Yeah, and I do know to your point about taxes and the tax rate here is almost 50%. And so a lot of times you have the husband and wife both work and then essentially one of their salaries supports the family, the other goes to the government. And so you people just don't have a lot of money to give to the church. Mm. And in fact, the church that I'm attending now doesn't even have an offering. I mean, there's one, there's no expenses and that's intentional because we want them to see what the Bible says and, uh, just 
get them developing that relationship with Christ. And then as needs come up, then we'll talk about them as a congregation and people will um, generously and joyfully contribute to a particular need. But those have been, for the most part, um, pretty sporadic, fortunately. And so um, I say fortunately just because a lot of times it winds up being essentially deacons fund type money that we need to take collections for. But just it's just better for us in one regard to just not even have a collection and just get people, teach people what the scripture says and get that relationship with Christ stabilized. And then, um, then from there, then give them some of the finer points on money, how churches should use them and so on. That's kind of reminds me of what Paul did. Like he didn't, he didn't try to get paid for, uh, you know, with a lot of the churches that he was involved with. Um, and, Purposely so. That was part of that. That was part of the strategy, right? With Paul, like he he wanted to mm-hmm. just give the gospel and give it in a way that didn't um, invite any kind of criticism or like you know second second question in their mind whether or not he was authentic. So um, yeah, that makes that makes sense, um, especially with the lack of trust that you might be dealing with with people there in regards to authorities and religion and like well we don't want your money we just want to give you the truth and this is actually better for you um you know as a human being like you need you need you need the truth you need the gospel so wow yeah yeah and if we came in asking for money right out of the gate even for a church nobody would come back next sunday (laughs) because it just it's just, yeah. just the lack of trust they have in general, and then now you want to get their money and just forget it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very much. Um, it's interesting how close similar that is to the South in America, like the the South. The mentality there yeah. was, you know, if you saw a pastor driving a nice car, then there was something wrong with him. Uh, but yeah. the guy that would make that statement would have a ninety five thousand dollar truck with $15,000 rims on it and a $75,000 boat that he would tow every weekend to the lake, you know? And so it was, you know, it was just weird. It was almost, it's almost like weird. The more religious the environment, it's almost like the, the higher the expectation that the, that the full-time pastor not make money. You know what I mean? Mm. And it's yeah. almost like it's what's interesting is on the West Coast, I've noticed the that same stigma towards pastors doesn't exist out here. In fact, I've found in general Californians are like, well, pastors got to provide for their homes too, so you need to pay them because um, their family needs to be provided. But whereas like in Oklahoma, they were like, oh, no, you you can't. You know, he should, he should be doing it for the Lord. And you're like, so why aren't you? Yeah. Why aren't you going to your boss being like, boss, I'm just here doing it for the Lord. Go ahead and cut my pay in half. And again, not, not that, that, right. And obviously the concern there too is, um, you know, there are pastors out there that, that love how much money they make and they're pursuing the financial wealth. And th- those guys are not qualified for ministry, but the same token, a man in the ministry has got to provide for his family. Uh, and that's not, that's not a slam on the Italians either. It's just interesting how these different, Right, because you brought up a cultural situation here, very, very unique situation that that it helped explains part of the problem, um, and yet it's also part of the European mentality, from what I can tell. Uh, and again, I could be wrong. 
I'm missing information, but yeah, it well, is a, it is yeah, a way to pray, maybe. right? Cause, cause Brian, you're probably not going to see this. This trend is not going to change in our lifetime unless the Lord returns, but it is probably, it might be possible, right? That in a hundred years that does change. Yeah. Brian will be like 130. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, no, I'm I'm guessing it'd be at least one, if not two generations, before we start to see self-sustaining evangelical churches in Italy. Mm. And that, that that's just the way it is with the with the climate and culture here now. And I, mean, I can assure you, Jason, to your example of the guy in the South complaining about the pastor having too much money driving his ninety-five thousand dollar truck and boat. Here, people complaining about pastors making too much money are driving little. Fiat 500s and, that are nine years old and cramming their families of four into it. So, and you know, they're, they're by no means rich by any, at all. So yeah, that, no, it's just, it's just interesting, you know, like, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a different context, but it's just, I think there's an interesting, um, observation on, on my maybe finances. And again, that's uh, in no way trying to discount the, the hardships of those families there. Um, you know, it, it just maybe reveals something yeah. and, um, you know, that, that's the, that's the beauty of the local church and that's the beauty of missions is the ability for local churches to help take care of other local churches. And I think that's part of our responsibility in America, uh, or maybe not in America. Let me phrase it this way. Um, churches that are in better financial situations, I think we have the responsibility to help out churches in less in in more difficult financial situations. And so I think it is part of our job um to to have missionaries and to financially support you guys. And that's the one thing that I know we can do. We can pray for you. We can we can offer our services to help you out as much as we can, uh realizing that that there are some barriers to what we can realistically help with. But part of that is that financial, you know, we can help. And so we're not just helping you. We're helping those Italian families have a pastor who's fully dedicated to the ministry because there is an advantage to that. There, There is a disadvantage to asking somebody to work a full-time job, then do full-time ministry on top of that. Um, and especially if he, he has a family, oh man, now, now you're, you're asking the family to suffer quite a bit from this as well. And so, you know, our ability to come alongside and help financially, to me, that's a responsibility and a stewardship that we have to have. And then that's why we try to be smart in the way that we vet people, because if you don't vet people, you end up throwing money down the drain. But if you vet good people that are committed to local church, making disciples, evangelizing the lost, then, you know, you've got people with the, with biblically qualified with their head on their shoulders and at that point, we just trust the Lord, right? We're not, we're not calling our missionaries, being like, "Give us a salvation report," and say, "Oh, well, Brian's Brian's got, you know, no converts in five years." Like, "Oh, we got to pull his funding." Like that. That's that's the kind of thinking that that gets people into trouble. And um, maybe we should bring that up too, because Brian, you you are in the missionary graveyard from 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 a missionary context, and so somebody who's not familiar with Italy. Hopefully this podcast has kind of made them aware of Italy. 
hopefully so far, you know, uh, it's made you aware of some of the, the troubles, the difficulties, the different contexts, the different needs, the different situations. But, but why is Italy a missionary graveyard? Just because that, that is a common phrase used for Italy. Yeah, I mean, Italy was the first country I heard given the moniker Graveyard of Missionaries, and I'm hearing it applied to other European countries, and I certainly believe it's true. Uh, To be honest, I think the biggest thing is missionaries come here with a certain expectation of results that they're going to see within a certain time frame, And when they don't have the number of converts that they think they're going to have within a year, two years, when they don't see the results, when they've, one of my colleagues went through her first, I think it was at least four years before leading anyone to the Lord. And, um, you know, I, I think part of it is just that, uh, I think numbers are just part of the DNA of the American church. I'm mean, even going back to the revivals, the big tent revivals in the South. And I'm mean, even up to today with all the crusades that they have, the Billy Graham and Greg Laurie crusades. And I don't know if they use crusades anymore or if it's no longer a politically correct term to use. I apologize if it's not, but um, you know, the, the, those types of things just, create this expectation of numbers and when those expectations aren't met then there's disillusionment there's disappointment and i think on the italian side of things um just people again it just takes time to develop those relationships it takes time to separate out where catholics and protestants can unite and where they have to divide and it just takes time. And just one example is um, that just the term grace that we use frequently. Well, in the Catholic mindset, grace is something that a worker in an Amazon warehouse is taking off the shelf, putting in a box and shipping out, right? It's some kind of substance in their mind. There's a specified quantity of it. And so just even trying to break free of that kind of mindset of how we define some of these basic terms that we use so frequently and just instilling the proper biblical definitions in people, it it just takes a lot of time. So I think those kind of those two sides of the coin of just needing to patiently teach people and uh, just being persistent and waiting for them to, for the spirit to just let that just, bring them to that moment of realization of what the scriptures are saying. And then just the missionary needing to be patient and not having the expectations of those results. There's that keyword expectations. Yeah. That's a, that's a big, that's a big issue. We talk about that a lot in cornerstone that, you know, just the expectations you place on other people. um, Sometimes even though they're noble and good, uh, the problem is it's, it's just, you know, at some level you're expecting God to, to do in other people what you think you should do in other people. And so, right. A spouse expects her husband to come home and bring flowers and he doesn't. Well, now she's mad. Well, right. Like what did he agree to that? Like, you know what I mean? And so the same thing, Mm -hmm. if you think of successful ministry as adding numbers to the church, um, then my, then my question would be, 
where I, st- I still, that's still my question. Where did you find that in the Bible? Like, oh, but in Acts, they added numbers. Yes, yes, the Holy Spirit added amazing amounts of numbers early in Acts. But you would never then turn around and say Jeremiah was an unsuccessful prophet because nobody got saved under his ministry. So we have to even realize yeah. that the Lord uses different churches, different people for different reasons, and yet it's all a part of the disciple-making process. And every believer in those churches is going to end up around the banquet table someday. And it's going to be glorious. And we're not going to look at another person and be like, oh, well, I mean, you were in a lesser ministry because you only brought two people to the Lord. So it really comes down to faithfulness. And, you know, what's, what's hard, and yet what I'm encouraged by is, you know, Matthew 5, Jesus says, so that they may see your good works. And on the one hand, we've got to communicate the gospel and tell them the truth. And on the other hand, what's interesting is unbelievers reject Scripture and yet, because they're made in God's image, there is some level of discernment of what good works are. And so, um, yes, we have to communicate. Yes, we have to tell them. But at the same token, I think that's why those relationships are so important. I think what you're saying, right, four or five years, because it you're a foreigner, you treat Jesus Christ like he's real and not a tradition, which makes you weird, Maybe you're even a cult member, right? And it's going to take them time to go, oh, you know what? This guy's not a cult member. There's something like about this guy. What is it that makes you? Well, in, in, in Italy, if I can just interject really quickly, just from the governmental legal standpoint, you're either a Catholic or part of a cult, one or the other. There, there's <laughs> n- nothing else. There are no other choices. Wow. Is on your little thing, and you have to check cult. and that's just part of the mindset too with the italians is going back to the issue with buildings versus home churches why are these people meeting in a home is the question the italians are asking what's going on why are they so secretive that's just the mindset they have and they're so used to the big ornate well-decorated Catholic churches with all the paintings on the walls and the frescoes on the ceilings and the statues. And on some aesthetic level, the buildings and the inside are quite beautiful. And then here we are in our plain, undecorated, maybe a couple of signs of verses with verses hanging on the wall in, in our little evangelical churches. And just from the standpoint of looks and aesthetics, yeah, the people are going to much rather go to a Catholic church, but it just it's trying to get people to see that it's not the building, it's not the outside, it's not the tradition, it's what goes on in the heart between you and the Lord. So. Yeah, we often talk about the parable of the soils and, you know, the, the issues of soils, but the one thing we can control is, you know, the kind of things that we're planting and not not only just the quality of the message, but the quality of the person. Um, and, and so, even with you know, if you're if you if you have good soil, but you're planting bad seed, you know, it's like it's not helpful, right? So, like as you're talking, I just picture like good seed being planted in good soil, and sometimes, you know, and the Lord's going to bring the harvest on His time, and um, and then you think of that mustard seed parable, where it's like you know, that little seed and it turned into a, you know, a nice big bush. And, um, it, it's like the work that we do 
the work that we do is we're, we're, we're living out the gospel and we're preaching the gospel and we don't know what the Lord's going to do with it, but we do, we do know that, um, you know, he's the one that brings the in, increase in his time. But the, the one thing that we can be faithful with is what we say and what we do. Um, and so, yeah, as, as you're talking, I'm just like, and, and I'm, I'm like, I have a, now I have a heart for the Italian people. It's like, man, it's Lord work in their hearts so that they can, uh, just seek you and, you know, know that there's more to life than just work and going about your day, but they, they need salvation. They need the Lord. Um, so yeah, it's been really helpful just thinking about Italy with you, Brian. So, yeah, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, we're encouraged. I know Thomas always encouraged, who's um, liaison for you and relays information back to church. Who has Italian blood? He does. He does. <laughs> yeah. So now he and I have some fun uh, texting each other back and forth. Every usually winds up being two weeks to a month or so. So I've, nice. I've, I've enjoyed getting to know him. Good. Yeah, are you a Dodgers or Angels fan? More Dodgers, but to be honest, being over here, just haven't been able to keep up with it as much. Yeah, that was always my. I mean, just for example, now I don't even know where they're at in the season, records, anything like that. So yeah, Yeah, that's my one regret. We still don't have a missionary as a Yankees fan. It's very offsetting for me. So. But, uh, well, thanks, Brian. I appreciate you, brother. And um, was there anything else that we need to bring up about Italy? Here's the thing. If you're listening to this and you raised more questions, um, reach out to us because, one, we can get you on Brian's um, email list so that you get the routine updates about him. Uh, two, um, we do update quite regularly in the church. Three, you can always get involved and become a part of the, li- the liaison team that that engaged with brian uh three keep praying for him i may have got off on my numbers here by the way uh (laughs) you saw another point um keep praying for him and you know what uh sacrifice a little give a little i don't don't even you know i think when we think of missions giving i know in my mind it's like man if i can't give like five thousand dollars then it's not worth it but lord has a way of of taking a thousand people to give two three bucks and and providing um bountifully for for brian and so i like to ask because um i like to say it because uh i think i think you've got to contemplate how do we support our missionaries and so um you have the responsibility to give to the local church so do that but um pray and ask lord take that seed money and let it grow (laughs) you know you're not it's it's funny like yeah it that you know, a lot of people have really abused that, but you're not a hundred percent wrong with that either. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know for Kyle and I, one of our things is like, okay, you know, um, we would love to grow in our giving in that way, but don't, don't discount five bucks. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Don't, don't discount. Hey, do it in faith. It's good seed. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? It's funny as, as hokey as it is, I actually didn't even mind it that I knew people in Oklahoma that they were like, Hey, it's Wednesday missionary day. And these were people that would go to that would go to to Starbucks, um, you know, six times a week for a latte or coffee. I don't know, but I mean, at that point, you're spending a couple thousand dollars a year on lattes. On oh, no. watered ash. Oh, jeez, yeah. I don't even. Want, I, 
I, it hurt to say it, yeah. but here's what I liked about it. I had a hand, I knew a handful that, uh, like every Wednesday they would not go to Starbucks and that was their way of remembering a missionary and they would instead send, you know, $25 a month to that missionary. And every Wednesday, the driving past Starbucks prompted them to pray for the missionary. And on the one hand, I'm like, hey, you know, in my ideal world, you just wake up and you think about your missionaries and you pray for them because you've, you've kind of got a running list of the different responsibilities you have in who to pray for. But on the other hand, you know what? I was like, hey, you now, you know, there was a long time where I kind of trashed that and made fun of that practice. Now looking back, it's like, hey, you know what? That was a good practical way to that was routine and triggered their mindset. Um, you know, not trying to be hokey or, or weird on that, but it was actually, I kind of like it now. Yeah. Because I think sometimes we need triggers to, to remind us to do things, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So in other words, yeah, I just, yeah, go ahead, Brian. I was just going to say, I just, I want to thank you guys too for the financial support that's been coming in. Just really appreciate, uh, appreciate that aspect, but also the prayers and uh, the interest from the, the church members as well. So thank you. Yeah, that's a joy. So, yep. It's a joy to serve you. And, uh, we, we love Italy and praying for them and can't, can't wait to visit one day. Yeah. You know <laughs> what? Um, yeah, I would love to send a team over. Um, also, I don't know what we do in the World Cup. Um, with with five different countries represented, um, I, but it's hard not it's hard to root against Team Italy because they're usually so good. Yeah, and we're we're here. So whenever you guys want to come, let us know. Southeast Asia doesn't bring a team. The Philippines, do they play soccer? I don't know what they play. Boxing, that's all I know. Yeah, and ping pong. <laughs> I'm sorry, table tennis. Yeah. No, we're not even we don't we're not even playing at a competitive level there. So Oh yeah. Malawi, do they do they play soccer? Croatia does. Oh, you know what? Right now, oh that's that's tough because right now Croatia's got a pretty good soccer team at the international level. In fact, I think, if I'm not mistaken, they uh, they lost in the finals to, to France, which I'm kind of disappointed in. But, yeah. Italy, meanwhile, won the uh, Euro Cup last summer but didn't qualify for the World Cup this time around. So huh, it's weird. one extreme to the other. Yeah. And I know the Italians love their football. Yep. And, yeah. and I'll call it football for their sake. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, they do. It's... Yeah. It's war over here, depending on uh, which team you root for. So that's, that's much more intense than even Yankees, Red Sox, or Dodgers, Giants. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that. Like, yeah. Yep. Well, sweet. Well, thanks, Brian. Um, we will log off the podcast and then um, say goodbye after we log off to the podcast. All right, everybody. Okay. Sounds good. We love you.